Acts chapter 22, our race toward the end of this book is here, and we will be moving fairly quickly from here on out as we track Paul's journey in Roman custody from Jerusalem to Caesarea to Rome itself. Acts 22, we heard last time Paul's speech defending himself, and we will pick up at the aftermath of that in 22 verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and shook off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the commander ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman? And uncondemned, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. And the commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men, brothers, I have lived as a citizen in all good conscience before God until this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. And so on. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand our dual citizenship and to live out our dual citizenship. As citizens of an earthly polity called the United States of America, as citizens of of your heavenly kingdom. Give us the grace to be faithful citizens in both kingdoms, but to to make our heavenly citizenship primary and to make our heavenly master our ultimate final allegiance. Help us now to hear your word, deliver our hearts from distraction and the cares of the world the temptations of the flesh, the lies of the devil. Help us instead, Father, to focus on your Son and the blessing that he has given us of citizenship in your kingdom. Help me to speak boldly and powerfully to your people. Build us all up in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, dual citizenship is at the heart of the passage before us. And dual citizenship is an odd concept. How could someone be equally the product of and equally loyal to Britain and America, or South Africa and New Zealand? It's a question the political theorists struggle to answer because ultimately it's another instance of the problem of the one and the many, or the problem of unity and diversity. How can you have both at the same time. 
We're not going to talk about dual citizenship in earthly terms, though. Paul, in our text, brings forward dual citizenship. He's the citizen of an earthly polity, as he discusses with the Roman centurion, but he's also a citizen of God's kingdom, as he claims in so many words before the high priest. So the text juxtaposes the two kinds of citizenship, Roman citizen, kingdom citizen, and invites us to consider what that means. We see that Paul used his dual citizenship specifically as a means to proclaim Jesus Christ. As a citizen of God's kingdom, he was an ambassador to the kingdom of Rome to say, submit to Jesus, he is your king. Well, let's talk about this story. We saw, well, we've seen that it's a complicated incident that stretched out over several days and its consequences ran for several years. Remember, Paul has come to Jerusalem, which he does in chapter 21. He gets there and he's met by the elders of the church who say, Paul, the church does not trust you. Prove yourself. Go to the temple with some men from our church and perform the rites Paul goes to the temple, performs the rites, and while he's there, a riot breaks out. Paul is taken into protective custody in the middle of the riot. He speaks to the crowd immediately from the steps above the plaza where he was arrested or taken into protective custody. And the crowd instantly, as soon as he's done with his speech, resumes rioting in an even more ferocious fashion. They screamed, they cried out, They yell, away with such a fellow from the earth, he's not fit to live. So they're almost literally howling for blood at this point. They're shaking their clothes and throwing dust in the air and doing everything they can to indicate that they are a mob in the grip of furious rage. They're ready to tear Paul apart. And the commander is standing behind Paul on the steps, looking out at the plaza and thinking, what on earth is this guy I just took into custody? (laughs) Why? Are they so mad? Right? The commander heard the whole speech, assuming that he knew Aramaic. If he knew Aramaic, he heard the speech, and he didn't hear anything in the speech that made him foam at the mouth. He didn't hear anything that he thought sounded particularly angering. But he sees the crowd ready to slaughter Paul on the spot. And so the commander says, something wrong with this guy. He started a riot. I gave him a chance to calm it down. He started it again. So let's whip him. Let's scourge him and let's see what he's guilty of. So in these days, uh, prior to the softening influence of the Christian faith and the idea that people are innocent until proven guilty, examination by torture was completely legitimate and was engaged in all the time. In fact, many people believe that you couldn't get a straight answer unless you beat someone viciously to the point where he was barely alive. And then you could say, what are you doing? Someone was more likely to tell the truth after he was beaten half to death. So it was believed. So that's what the commander orders. Examine him with scourging. And this is the kind of scourging that Jesus was subject to as well. The whip, the cat of nine tails, or however many lashes it had, with pieces of metal and bone in the lashes, 
that would rip the skin right off your back. People were known to die from a single one of these whippings. So they're tying Paul up, stretching him out, so that his back is bare and ready to be whipped. And Paul says, Can you scourge me if I'm a Roman citizen and I have been condemned of no crime? And the words kind of have a magic effect. Those standing around him all took a step back. They all recognized that they were in big trouble. Forget failing to read him his Miranda rights. They had violated his rights right and left by even thinking about examining him under torture. So Paul uses his claim of, a Roman, of Roman citizenship. He says it to the centurion who tells the commander, and the commander says, let's check into this, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says, yes. Now, it does appear that in the Roman Empire, there was a possibility of some kind of document that you could carry that would prove your, prove your citizenship. I don't know whether Paul presented that or how they were able to check up on his claim to be a Roman citizen, because obviously if there was no way to verify, this could be abused. But Luke leaves all that to the side. He doesn't say. And then the commander went to his database and plugged in Paul's name and social security number and found that, yes, he was a Roman citizen and all his paperwork was correct. Luke just leaves that out because that's not part of the story. Clearly, Paul is telling the truth here, and he has the means of proving to the commander that he is telling the truth. The commander verifies his story and then gets a lot more respectful. Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And the commander's mind instantly goes back to, what did I have to do to become a Roman citizen? Now, in an empire, and right down to the present day, really, but uh, certainly in the Roman Empire, there are various grades of belonging. An empire is a political structure that bestrides multiple ethnicities or multiple nations as we would conceive them. Within the Roman Empire were Italians, Libyans, Palestinians, Jews, Greeks, Arabs, Bulgarians, and more, Britons, all mingling together. Now, the citizens originally of the city of Rome, and then after a time of the Italian peninsula, were awarded first-class citizenship within the empire. They had all the rights and privileges of full citizens. People born in conquered territories did not have those rights and privileges. They had fewer rights and privileges. They were required to do certain things for those with Roman citizenship. Thus, Jesus mentions, for instance, if someone compels you to go with him a mile, Roman soldier could say, hey, you, carry my pack for a mile. And you had to take his pack and carry it along with him for a mile and give him that break so that he didn't have to carry his pack. That is one, of, one example of a privilege that a Roman citizen or a Roman soldier would have that an ordinary resident of the empire, a non-citizen or a second-class citizen, would not have. 
So over the course of the imperial era, citizenship was expanded in the first century. Even if you were not from Rome or from Italy, you were able to purchase citizenship at times, or sometimes successful commanders would award citizenship to all of their soldiers or something like that. So Paul mentions Roman citizenship, and the commander immediately says, oh man, I had to pay a lot of money for that privilege. Something coveted, something worth a great deal of money. And Paul is able to say, I was born a citizen. Paul didn't pay a dime for this citizenship. Either his father had purchased it, or his grandfather, or one of his ancestors had rendered some service to a Roman VIP and been awarded citizenship in return, something along those lines. Luke doesn't get into where Paul's citizenship came from or how much Claudius Lysias had to pay to become a citizen or anything along those lines. What is he focusing on? He's focusing on how Paul escaped the riot and how Paul ended up testifying to Jesus in Rome. Part of that narrative is Paul saying, I'm a kingdom citizen. And when he says that, when he utters those magic words, or sorry, not I'm a kingdom citizen, I'm a Roman citizen. When he utters those words, he's spared from torture. He's spared from Jewish hostility. He is not released or thrown back to the, to the mob. Rather, the Romans say, we'll protect you. And we won't beat you, because you are one of us. You have the credentials. This is a great example of what a strong state does. Its institutional arm reaches out, and in the remotest backwaters, like Jerusalem, it protects its own people from mistreatment at the hands of foreigners and mistreatment at the hands of its own officials. Roman state overawes a local commander who says, Looks like we've got a criminal, we've got probable cause to beat the tar out of him. The law comes and says, no, he's a citizen, you can't do that. And so, they don't. Paul had probably already written the words at this time that the emperor is God's minister to you for good. And now, I'm sure, as they cut him down and didn't beat him, he was thinking, man, I'm sure glad I told the Romans that. It's true. The state is God's minister to me for good. And I am really appreciating it this afternoon. Well, Paul is thinking that he's been delivered by his citizenship from earthly evil, getting scourged or getting released into the tender loving mercies of the mob. But the commander is none the wiser about why Paul is causing riots. And until he knows that, he can't release him, he can't charge him, he's kind of in legal limbo. And so he summons the council, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and he commands the chief priests and all their council to appear. You're going to come tomorrow, and you're going to examine this prisoner, and you're going to give me something solid to explain why he's causing riots. I need to know. So, you're going to come and tell me that. So, Paul is 
set in front of the council, and his interview with the council is recorded in the beginning of chapter 23. We're going to look at most of that next week. And it's a fascinating discussion, really, about who the high priest is, as we'll see, that Paul says, you can actually translate uh, verse 5 as present tense, Paul said, I don't know that he is the high priest. In other words, Paul says, you're not the high priest, and I don't have to respect you as such. I serve the real high priest. We'll get there. But before he says that, Paul comes into the council And his opening gambit is, Men, brothers, I have lived as a citizen in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, for some reason, I couldn't find an English translation that reads the word, I have lived as a citizen. They all simply say, I have lived, or at most, I have lived my life. The word Paul uses is the word polituma, which has root in it, the word polis, just as you can see the root word city in our English word citizen. And Paul is using a word, the same word that he used in Philippians to say our citizenship is in heaven, to say I have lived as a citizen in good conscience before God this day. Now, Why did the English translations get rid of the citizenship component? Well, the word can simply mean, I've lived. But there's two major reasons why I think Luke wants us to understand Paul as saying, I've lived as a citizen, and by implication, I've lived as a citizen in the kingdom of God. The first is the context. The whole previous narrative is all about citizenship. As Paul and the commander discuss what it is to be a Roman citizen, and Paul is spared from an awful fate by his Roman citizenship. The second reason is the high priest's response. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. The Romans spare him from physical torment because of his status as a Roman. The Jews feel no such compunction. Maybe he's a Jew, but they're willing to beat him up in response to his statement. But why does it annoy Ananias so much? There's nothing controversial about saying, I've lived my life. We've all lived our life. And even to say, I have a clean conscience. Maybe that really offended the high priest, but I think it more likely that the high priest understood Paul to be saying, as the word polituma means, I have lived as a citizen of the kingdom of God. My citizenship is in the commonwealth of Israel, which is God's kingdom here on earth. I haven't renounced membership in Judaism. I haven't left the kingdom of God. I have been a faithful citizen of God's kingdom for my entire life. That's what makes the high priest angry. Paul says he's lived as a kingdom citizen all over the eastern Mediterranean witnessing to Jesus. What is he saying? Citizenship in God's kingdom is no longer confined to Palestine. And it is no longer legitimized or defined by the Levitical system in Jerusalem. That you represent Ananias. That's what Paul is saying. He's directly challenging the high priest's authority 
as the earthly head of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, I have a claim to be a kingdom citizen. A claim that you can do nothing about, Ananias, because you don't rule the kingdom of God. We can imagine in our own context a bigoted immigration hawk, an American who's volunteered to join the Border Patrol, and he runs across this uh, very Mexican-looking gentleman in a sombrero with a thick Spanish accent who's an elderly gent in his 80s. And this elderly Mexican gent says, I have lived my life as an Americano for 80 years. And the immigration hawk is foaming at the mouth. No, you're not an American. You don't look American. You don't talk American. I don't believe it. That's where Ananias is. He rejects Paul's claim to citizenship in the kingdom of God. He says, I can't do this. Beat him on the mouth, people. He has just blasphemed the whole Levitical system of which I am the head and representative. So Ananias takes it personally, and that's why he commands Paul to be struck, and he takes it personally in one sense with good reason, because Paul is not just saying, my conscience is clean, I feel good about my choices, he's saying much more than that. He's saying, you can't control who God lets in. God has let me in. God calls me a citizen of his kingdom. And Ananias, it's not your decision. You may be high priest set up by Rome. You are not the high priest recognized by God. There's a high priest recognized by God. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. That's where Paul is going. So Paul was a kingdom citizen. He was not afraid to say so. And that really bothers everyone who thinks they have a lock on God and can control who he lets in to his kingdom. That's what Ananias thought. Ananias thought, I'm high priest, I run the temple, I run the Levitical machinery, and if I refuse to issue a permit for somebody to be brought in as a proselyte, then he's no longer a Jew. I've kicked this guy out. And Paul says, nope, I'm still a kingdom citizen. You have no authority over that, Ananias. The claim to be a kingdom citizen will also drive nuts everyone who thinks that earthly citizenship is ultimate. In the time of the Boxer Rebellion, 120 years ago, it was said by nationalist Chinese people, if you worship Jesus, you are not Chinese. It is un-Chinese to worship the white man's God. That's been said in many contexts, not just in China. Paul ran into that long before in Thessalonica, in Acts 17, where it was charged, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. The Thessalonian Jews explicitly charged Paul and his companions and said, if you follow Jesus, you're not, Roman. Paul is preaching something un-Roman. Whereas Luke shows us 
both there in Acts 17 and, of course, here, that for Paul there was nothing incompatible about being a Roman and being a Christian. Back to back, he can say, I'm a Roman citizen, I'm a kingdom citizen. I am both of these things at the same time, in the same place, same person, me, Paul, kingdom citizen, Roman citizen. So those who think that earthly citizenship is ultimate, who imagine that your final loyalty is to your tribe, to your people, to your state, or your earthly polity, your empire, will be furious at the claims of the kingdom of God. You can't have another loyalty. You are un-Chinese if you're Christian. You are un-American if you're Christian. You are un-Jewish if you're Christian. You are un-Roman if you're Christian. And the book of Acts is dedicated to saying nonsense. Christianity is for people of all races, all places, all nationalities, all polities, all earthly governments and tribes and kinship groups. That's what Paul proclaimed. That's what the entire New Testament proclaims. Earthly citizenship is not ultimate. And so, for that reason, we are patriots and we love where we come from. Paul brags uh, later on about being from Tarsus. And I am from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. He was proud of his earthly place of birth. But he didn't go around telling everybody to become Tarsians. He went around telling everyone to become Christians. Paul says, I have lived as a citizen before God. God is the one who judges my kingdom citizenship. I have lived my life as one who is watched by God, superintended by God, cared for by God. I do everything I do as though God is watching me. And that's how we should live too. We should be more concerned with what God thinks than with what our neighbors think. More concerned with whether a practice is right and pleasing to God than as to whether it's something that our American friends and neighbors participate in. No American does that. Well, if God wants me to do that, it really doesn't matter to me that no American does that. My primary loyalty is to the kingdom of God, not to my earthly citizenship. Paul also claims that he's lived in all good conscience. My conscience is clean. I have no knowledge of having done something wrong that hasn't been dealt with. That is how we should strive to live, with clean consciences. How do you get a clean conscience? Well, you clean it regularly. That's how you get it. You dirty it as little as possible. You clean it as often as possible. You dirty your conscience by sin. You clean it by repentance and by dealing with your sin, going to God, asking His forgiveness, going to those you've sinned against, and making it right and being reconciled with them. Paul says, I have done that. That is how I've lived. And that is how all kingdom citizens should live, with a clean conscience. 
One of our American cultural values is to have a clean body. We invest a lot in hygiene, in showers. If you ever walk down the soap and shampoo aisle in the grocery store, you know that this is something our culture considers to be extremely important. But a kingdom citizen is even more concerned with godliness, with repentance, with keeping the conscience clean than with keeping the body clean. And Paul says, I haven't just done this for a while. I didn't just do it as a kid. I've lived my life. I've lived as a citizen in all good conscience before God until this day. Right up to the present moment, I am a kingdom citizen and I will stay a kingdom citizen and I will keep maintaining a clean conscience and I will keep walking and living in the sight of God. That was Paul's claim. And that's the definition of kingdom citizenship. It is something ongoing, not something that you do for a while. Oh, I did my two years as a kingdom citizen. Now I've got other things. I serve my time. No, there is no serving of time. This is the work of a lifetime. Well, as we see, Paul's kingdom claims generate riots. It generated riots among his own Jewish people because they didn't want to submit to Jesus. And so they threw a fit when he said, I am a kingdom citizen whose mission is to the Gentiles. Don't expect that trying to exercise dual citizenship in an earthly state and in the kingdom of heaven will be silky smooth. There will be snags, there will be problems, and of course for Paul there were major problems. Paul's own people didn't want to submit to Jesus, and Paul insisted that they had to submit to Jesus. And that's what generated the riot. To say citizen is to imply that there is a city, that there is a polity to which you belong. To say citizen, in other words, is to say kingdom. I am a citizen, that is, I belong to something larger than myself, a political body or institution somewhere. And to say kingdom is to say that there is a king. There is some kind of executive at the head of that polity whom I serve. And so to say citizen is to say kingdom is to say Lord. In other words, this claim, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, gets us quickly right back to the central Christian claim that Jesus is Lord. To say I'm a citizen is to say I serve a Lord. And you should too. You should come be a citizen of this same kingdom. So Paul's kingdom citizenship, I think this is Luke's final point, gives him the authority to testify to Jesus. The president of Turkey is not going to find a Brazilian and make this Brazilian his ambassador to Australia. The president of Turkey will send a Turk to represent him in Australia. The president of the United States will send an American to represent him in Tokyo. And so it goes. In order to represent a polity, you must be part of that polity. In order to speak for Jesus, you need to be a citizen of his kingdom. Paul's calling is to be an evangelist, an apostle, 
Therefore, he has to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he uses that citizenship to testify to Jesus. Verse 11 of chapter 23 tells us how the Lord interprets this whole thing. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. How does Jesus interpret this whole arrest sequence? This is Paul testifying. This is Paul doing what Jesus wants him to do. Paul used his Roman citizenship as a platform from which to proclaim the good news about Jesus. Yes, he used that citizenship of Rome to preserve his life and health, but his goal was not to build Rome, but to build the kingdom of God. That's what he was trying to do. And as I said last week, because he was trying to do that, we can be certain about the kingdom. Paul was building it. And Paul would not have been building it if it were not real. So live as a Christian citizen. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have a kingdom, that your son died, and that he bought us entrance into that kingdom, that all our immigration paperwork is in order, and that we are permanent citizens of the kingdom of God. Father, we ask that you would help us to glory in that, to truly be able to say with Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we wait a Savior. Lord, the power and glory of the polity in which we live tends to blind our eyes to the greater power and the greater glory of your heavenly kingdom. We ask that you would help us not to look to the stars and stripes and to the eagle with olive branch and arrows as the final summation of our claim to fame in this world, that you would help us to look above that, beyond that, to the cross as the true symbol of our final and ultimate allegiance. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our crucified and risen Lord. Amen.